Welcome to McDonald's. What can I get you today? Hi, she'll have the quarter pounder with cheese, extra mustard, no pickles, and I'll have a 10-piece chicken McNuggets. And, and two sides, sides of ranch, please. The we've done this before meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Move Television, the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we are rolling on with our all-TV mandate uh, to talk about Amazon. We're not limited to just terrestrial broadcasts or cable boxes. We're on Am- We're on the internet. We're on the, the World Wide Web. Because Amazon's got a new series uh, helmed by Matthew Weiner. All Matthew the things the- by Matthew Weiner. But Matthew the Wiener Weiner, uh, which we're we're big fans of his Mad Men. Mm-hmm. We did the Mad Men Happy Hour for many years. Had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears on that podcast. Uh, it's been gone for three years. This is his first return to uh, television, essentially. Uh, and he's got the Romanovs, which is an anthology that purports to be about a different member of the lost Romanov uh family the 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 last czarist regime in russia before the bolsheviks took over um i wouldn't say that like they're all necessarily actual romanovs but they have the sincere belief that they are romanovs Mm -hmm. uh we saw the first two episodes that were released this uh over the weekend i think it's actually on friday and they're going to release one episode a week uh each week after this on amazon uh, Jim, what did you make of Matthew Weiner's new series? So here's why people get paid the big bucks, because I have zero interest in the topic of the show. And as a matter of fact, when you tell me, OK, we're going to make a series of movies because these are all hour and a half episodes uh, and they're all going to be about a different set of people who think they're Romanoffs. Uh, I couldn't be less interested, honestly. Uh, oh. <laughs> so the only reason I checked this out is because Matthew Weiner is attached to it. And, and, you know, he's the creator, he's the director, he's the writer. So it's got Weiner all over it. Uh, (laughs) It's smattered with Weiner. Yeah, it it sure is. Uh, And so, like, you know, that's why you pay Matthew Weiner, because people come in just for the name. Uh, Right. That said, I think it was okay. Uh, I suppose I didn't not enjoy myself watching it but i found it to be a little bit odd Hmm. maybe the way that all these things are tied together is dubious at best and is definitely like i like actually how james poniwazik put it uh he's you know longtime reviewer of the whiner Mm -hmm. uh in the new york times article that he wrote uh he said that this is essentially black mirror for an a dying aristocracy uh, which makes a lot of sense now that I've seen the first two episodes. I think that I was a good halfway through the first episode not knowing what to make of it. Mm-hmm. But then they got to the scene where, and I guess we'll do spoilers. I, I won't do spoilers, actually. We got to a scene where there's a seduction, and I started getting really engrossed into it, and I'm like... You know what I miss from Mad Men and I guess The Leftovers is these very emotionally complex situations that have genuine tension that aren't like tied into this bomb has to be defused or this wall has to be defended or ice zombies will take over the world or you know there it's just it's just a, it's just two people and you know 
compromising situations and asking you what you think about this morally and ethically and uh, whether it feels real. And I started to get really into it from there because the other thing I thought was that these episodes are attempts to deconstruct classic Hollywood tropes. Like, mm-hmm. the first episode is essentially 16 Candles, you know? Uh, a, a, a privileged guy who's kind of, like, you know, disaffected, uh, decides to treat a person from a, a lower caste or a, a different class, uh, like a Cinderella, as kind of like a gag or a um, a scam or of some sort and then catches feelings and what do they do? And like, a, and then the, the woman finds out and, but it, like, it's, everything is much more like, I guess, heightened realism. And it's, 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 it's like the difference between if you've seen like, you know, a Rin and Stippy cartoon and then you see someone try to make like a photorealistic, uh, Rin and Stimpy and how bizarre it looks. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the violet hour is a photorealistic, um, you know, John Hughes film and the Royal We was kind of like a photorealistic, uh, you know, uh, romantic comedy, you know, where, mm-hmm. where, where Titanic. there's, got, there's, yeah, there's big, there's, there's, there's big twists, there's big turns, there's things that like are shocking, but you kind of see coming and then they subvert that shock. So mm-hmm. I guess at that, I thought it was kind of interesting to see, you know, what felt like pretty tropey situations be kind of turned on their heads. And then also I, I felt like a lot of the writing and the performances were, were very smart and interesting and held my interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting that held my interest. Um, <laughs> uh, but I also wonder if there's not going to be something that the sum is more, or the, the whole is more than just a parts. Maybe, you know, um, we're two episodes in, if there's going to be an actual thesis that emerges from all this, I heard that like the John Slattery's character who makes a brief cameo in episode two is not the actual episode that he was like billed as being a part of. So maybe there's like a little bit of a thread that is going to be running through all of these that we can tease out. Um, huh. but no, I, like I said, I, I, I spent the first 30, 40 minutes, um, not just like confused and wondering if this is good and this if I like this, but also with the extra like gee whiz, what am I gonna say if I don't like the new, you know Matthew Weiner? <laughs> you can Matthew say you Weiner don't like show. the new Matthew Weiner no, show. I know, but I mean, it's just like a, it's like a, it's a bummer. It's a bummer for me. Huh, it's a bummer. Yeah. You know, it's like I it's it's a little bit of that like I don't know. I got this weird like podcaster thing where that 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 awareness of like oh no what if i don't like something and how am i going to talk about it in a way that won't piss people off like started to creep in but like i said hmm. after the second half of episode one and i pretty much totally enjoyed episode two i will say uh, I, yeah i liked episode two better than episode one uh maybe it was just because i was finding my footing mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah like i said they're I feel like they're definitely worth watching. Are they? And then the other thing is, are they, man, it's like, is it as good as Mad Men? Because like, imagine Mad Men in a 90 minute format. That's it. It's just, mm-hmm. you've got to introduce Don and Peggy and, uh, and, and, um, you know, the antagonists like Peter or Pete, Pete Campbell. And you got to do it in like the first, 30 to 40 minutes so the rest of the 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 thing can play and like 
how kind of just you know stripped down and and pared down that 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 experience would be and i just it's 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 really it's unfortunate that his last thing was mad men this very long sprawling intensely interesting very watchable serial that came out over seven you know like you know, hundreds of hours of television now you're looking at like okay here is about 10 hours of something but i i don't know is 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 it because no one gives a shit about the romanovs or is it because because who gave a shit about <laughs> 60s era's madmen you know or admin yeah uh I, I don't know certainly i think the subject matter is less interesting to me um and I I don't even know that I would compare these two things because like you're you're describing it's so apples to oranges here. Uh, we've got you know the ninety minute format, one and done kind of stories, mm-hmm. and then you've got that seven season huge arc uh, of these of an intimate look at these characters. I think it's very very different. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if I would approach the idea of which is better. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you're. That's what I was kind of groping for is it's a fool's errand, but yet everyone's doing it, you know, and I think because I I was trying to I resisted watching any reviews or listening to any reviews. I didn't even go on a forum thread for the Romanovs uh, because I know that got, you know, created as soon as the the series was announced and I didn't want to get contaminated, but. I felt as I was reading like my old familiars, like, you know, I read Podney Wozniak and uh, I read uh, the Sepinwall and a couple others. And I'm like, they did seem like, I mean, I don't think they were uninterested or at least, you know, but, but there was like, you know, this kind of like reserved quality to the review. Like this, you know, is good, but not great. Maybe a little disappointing. A lot of takes on like what this means in the context of like the you know Me Too movement and like Matthew Weiner's uh, you know a- accusation of, of uh, sexual harassment that came out uh, late last year. Um, that I guess I'm glad I missed all that because um, I probably like like seeing this as like. Uh, kind of a mild disappointment i think might have influenced me to be like oh yeah like i'd have been looking for the flaws rather than trying to just engage with the material um did you like i I don't know did you were you checking this were you checking the series out before you actually watched it or no uh not at all i I went and i read like i said james pani review in the times uh afterward after Mm -hmm. i'd seen both episodes Yeah. yeah um and and largely i came away feeling the same way that he did uh after reading his review, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I did not have a weird perspective on this. This is just actually mm-hmm. how most people felt that it was, you know, interesting but odd um, and, and maybe didn't quite hit exactly how they wanted it to and and myself also. Yeah, it's funny because when I first heard this project, uh, I'm like, Romanovs, huh, a historical period piece about the downfall. Like, I assumed the downfall of the House Romanov. And then when I heard, oh, no, no, it's set in modern day and it's going to be like putative descendants of Romanovs. I'm like, well, that's as weird as fuck. Uh-huh. Um, and like when I was watching the credit sequence, which is, you know, the Romanovs getting blown away and their blood running across this floor interspaced with like all these photographs of their of their family and then like it turns from like classical music to uh, Tom Petty's uh, refugee and there's this really cool shot of like you, you, what I think you're supposed to understand is Anastasia uh Romanoff the the one that you know is always purported to have gotten away fleeing in her you know little little blue riding hood 
and it morphing into a girl in like a blue wind jacket that's just like walking up the staircase like that you you get this idea that like there's this historic loss that has pulled something out of all these people and regardless mm-hmm. of what had actually happened the idea of it happening is the important part and i thought it was interesting just juxtaposition we're, we're going to probably get into heavy spoilers from here on out so if you haven't had a chance to watch it i can't imagine this review it would move you either way uh but you know i just want to give you fair warning can, can i say like watch episode two first Hmm. Because I guess I feel it doesn't like it's matter. The, it's the more interesting of the two episodes. At least it was to me. Um, the yeah, I'm, or, or maybe the easier to engage with of the two. I, I won't argue that because like the first half of the first episode, I thought was such a hoary uh, trope uh, of this like you know driving Miss Daisy bullshit mm-hmm. that like i it, it was it, i kind of had but and then it got more interesting in the second half i do think the first episode's maybe more visually beautiful but that's probably just because my god that apartment and paris france i know you can't uh, beat it you go to certain parts of paris for, and you with the right camera and the right lighting and it's like my god is there a more beautiful city in the world mm-hmm. um so yeah i i would say that like Episode two is broadly speaking the more entertaining and interesting of the episodes. Um, but I think it's also it's interesting because like episode one also leans into kind of what I thought the Romanovs would be like this aging aristocracy that's desperately trying to hold on to that that prestige and power uh, in in a way that the rest of the world thinks is silly and anachronistic. Yeah. And the second episode was more of like I don't know like you know a a middle class american romanoff that's just like feels like he should be an emperor and he's not yeah until you get to the boat and then there are some silly anachronisms there (laughs) you know some over the top ridiculous yeah 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 stuff like that but yeah we should talk spoilers because i i do want to talk about some details hey before we get in depth with the romanovs i want to talk about uh upcoming things here at ballmove.com next week we're pretty excited we got a new feature completely new type of feature called the Super Serious Film Fest. And we see it as like a spiritual successor to the Commission podcast, which we're bringing to a close uh, this year. It's a chance for us to talk about a lot of our favorite movies, a lot of your favorite movies in a more structured, interesting kind of format. Uh, the first Super Serious Film Fest is subtitled Season of the Cage. And it's about, uh, we're taking a sampling of six different Nick Cage movies, three of his best movies and three of his worst movies. And there's going to be a lot of uh, special features on YouTube that we release. Some of this is going to be club content. Some of it's going to be uh, free publicly available content. We're actually bringing on Guy Ferrari uh, to punch up uh, some of the problems we see in the scripts of some of these films uh, to do his take, his his vision of what uh, a movie, if he had free creative reign uh, to do whatever he wanted to it. Uh, again, pretty we're pretty excited about it. Super Serious Film Fest. Uh, look for more information next week. Also, uh, the final Empire Business dropped this week where we do the studio tour, uh, the studio as it was before we decommissioned it because we're actually going to be moving studios uh, either late this year or early next year because if you didn't know, we're actually broadcasting out of Jim's basement right now. Uh, we got Bald Cave 2.0. That's out. We're still covering the Deuce every Tuesday. Better Call Saul will have our final podcast this Wednesday before the off season, where we wrap things up for season four. Cecily and I are still doing American Horror Story and having a ton of fun doing it. Jim and I took a chance uh, on Bad Times at El Royale. 
had some bad times, had some good times. And finally, we got to see Oliver Stone's JFK as one of our final commission podcasts. Check all that stuff out at baldmove.com. Okay, so let's talk about episode one first, The Violet Hour. Let's start with the title, because what is A Violet Hour? So in this episode, The Violet Hour is referenced in uh, a couple of scenes. One is a description of the sky when this old uh, aristocratic woman uh, son drowns in the lake mm-hmm. uh, or, or drowns somewhere. I don't know if it's a lake, but she said that, you know, the, the sky was more of a violet color than the described light blue. Uh, and then at the very end of the episode, after, you know, uh, Aaron Eckhart gets, I, I guess, the child that he's always been wanting but never told his girlfriend he wanted. Right. The air. Uh, yeah. The, the air, the lineage. Um the sky turns violet there again. So it seems like there's some connection, I think, between the violet hour and the lineage sort of perpetuating or or maybe a, a dying of the old aristocracy and a, a new birth of mm. a different type of blend. Because, you know, this, this old woman is very concerned about uh, the lineage. That's like the one thing she wants before she dies is to know that... Mm-hmm the the romanoff line will be preserved right uh, which I, I don't know why you know 1500 of her other cousins couldn't do it or something but whatever she she wants the lineage preserved through her um and, and so but but she doesn't she doesn't want it to change and then you know when they have when it, when it's announced that this uh muslim woman is pregnant with uh Aaron Eckert's baby then mm-hmm they do that violet hour thing and it's it's almost like they're saying hey this is the blending of the old aristocracy with the modern world and how the modern world is changing yeah and it's like you know as someone whose work schedule or not work schedule parenting schedule has caused me to see more sunrises than i've seen in my entire life combined in the last month like there is that both sunset and sunrise could be described as the violet hour. Mm, so like yeah. when her son is, I like that. It's like when her son is drowning, that's her seeing like the sunset setting on her part of the Romanov empire. And it, I think you're, you said something like, Oh, you, her other 1500 cousins could do, you know, but I, it does seem like, and I, I want to talk about this as a larger topic next, maybe, but like in this particular show, the Romanovs as a diaspora, Mm-hmm. seem throughout both episodes preoccupied with pre- keeping the lineage like when yeah. um you know uh what was what was the the the, the Corey Stoll's wife's name Emily uh, I I just know her as Carrie Bichet. uh yeah who's great um she you know they talk about not having kids and you know the other Romanovs like oh my god the society will die out within a generation if it's like that like it does seem like it's it's something that they're preoccupied by so I like the idea that like this is the sun setting and then unexpected rise of the sun and this and this lady uh which I mean the the thing that didn't work I guess in my and for, for me in this episode was the final scene of like you know Eric and Hajar inhabiting this apartment and like he's literally dressed <laughs> up like a czar and the yeah. old lady with the candle like she's almost a creepy ghost lady uh i wasn't sure what they were trying to go with on that i, um, I mean i think i think you you said what they were going for they wanted this to look like an old photo of the romanoff family like you'd see in the 19 or early 1900s or late 1800s you know 
But why? I mean, I was like, it's like, yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know. It's funny because like, I feel like um, <laughs> what is less is, is, is a lot less interesting. Like being able to say like what a scene is depicting is less interesting than like why, what is the purpose of that scene showing? And there's well, a I, lot I, of people. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like they're showing how different this Romanoff family has become, you know, like there's a scene in the market where the, the old lady uh, is having Hajar do all of her shopping for her. Uh-huh. And then these two very old, very crusty white people come up and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, can you believe like, you know, we've got brown skinned people in our markets. Uh, right, right. Well, what a fucking travesty. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's in there to sh- to kind of contrast with the very end where she's just happy that the lineage is going on. He's happy because he got a child, which was something he wanted. And it it doesn't have to look like those old photos in, you know, skin tone or or religion necessarily. It just looks like those old photos in spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's like the blending of the of the cultures, the blending of the the right. peoples like the the family is changing and. And you can still call it the Romanoff family. And right. you do, when you look at that picture, you go, oh my God, that's an aristocracy right there. Yeah. But the people involved in it are very different than they were. Yeah, they're definitely playing in that first episode a lot of like, you know, you can't be French. The the old lady who's just the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's talking, you know, she gets this uh, Muslim caretaker. Uh, and they have like just this like... You know, verbal war in the first f- a couple of uh, encounters with each other. And the old lady's thesis is, well, you're an immigrant. And she's like, no, I'm not. I was born here. She goes, well, you'll never be French. Right. And then you fast forward a little bit and she's letting her, you know, Hajar dress up in these, you know, old cl- uh, uh, costumes from the aristocracy. And when she puts on this blue outfit, which I think, again, is supposed to emphasize the Anastasia. Mm-hmm. She's absurdly beautiful. She looks like a Disney princess. Yeah. Like with the tiara you, and everything. Yeah, like my nieces would see that and want to buy her at, you know, Toys R Us if if there was still Toys R Us's. Um yeah. and I feel like that's part of like the this this panic of like France transforming into something that's unrecognizable is silly on multiple fronts. Number one, trans you know, France has transformed like uh two hundred the Frenchman from two hundred years ago would not recognize the capital now. Yeah. Um or even back in the seventies or sixties when it was France was still like, you know, whatever the idea of these people of France is. Um and then second, like the idea that some of these people might transform it's not just that tra- France itself is transforming, but the people are being transformed by France. That like a person like Hajar could be per could be a Romanoff princess if she marries a Zarek guy. Like mm-hmm. in the world wouldn't just fucking fall off its got if it's goddamn axis. <laughs> I think that's another interesting thing that they're playing with. Didn't like some British royalty just marry like a movie star or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, an American TV star. Yeah. American TV star. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, a, a half black one at that. There was the many many <laughs> Jimmy's okay. rustled. Many Jimmy's rustled. Yeah. So I wonder if it's you know pulled right out of current events kind of thing. It might be. It's weird because, like, I felt like there's the other thing. There was a little bit of both sides ism on the like that Matthew Weiner was engaging, where you know Hajar's mom showed up and she was pretty awful in how she depicted Hajar's sex life and 
Eric's motivations, although I think that she's pretty much right about Aaron Eckert's, um, at least his, uh, at least his beginning, his, his beginning motivations. Yeah. Um, because that's, I do want to talk. That's the other thing I want to talk about. Like there is an interesting thing that happens where I think, um, Aaron Eckert explicitly set out to seduce this woman and, um, try to as a as a way to win this apartment which is his kind of life's chief aspiration to get this big fancy apartment that is his his aunt's been in in haunting for the last few decades <laughs> yeah um and i felt like he started off as like you know he came out of that bathroom after he did the like full emotional court press of this isn't right and this is blah and this is and it wasn't getting anywhere and he like went to the bathroom smoothed his hair back he's like okay i'm gonna try a charm offensive mm-hmm. but i felt like he like as the night wore on, he just couldn't do it. Like she was just too earnest and forthright and and honest. And I I actually think that the night was probably going to end until she tripped and skinned her knee, which then let him back. You know, led to them going back to the hotel. And then I think that he became aware that she was actually very interested in him as a person. And he goes and he, like he's thinking about like his current lover and how she's kind of awful in her way. Oh yeah. Although, and I, I'm, I you know I, I can't finish the thought before I go d- digress into something. But yeah, like I, what's what's your opinion on like when did this become something that was exploitative and when did it become something that we're supposed to feel good about? Because I felt like I felt good about uh, the final scene where. You know, Eric embraced Hajar, and his old girlfriend uh, stole the Fabergé egg and ran off into the night. <laughs> the and fake the creep- Fabergé egg, maybe. Yeah, and and um, but I didn't know that I I, I I didn't know that they actually earned it. I felt like there was a step that was skipped because Aaron Eckhart is dashingly handsome, and Hajar. <laughs> well, you always skip a few steps when you're dashingly handsome. Sure, and Hajar is just radiantly beautiful, uh-huh. and they both are kind of like you know kindred spirits and that you know they believe in things that they can't prove and they're groping for that but like did did it work for you i'll say i never came around on it i actually think that last scene uh is a little weird and gross to me kind of ghoulish if in that yeah yeah because he i mean he's using her as a means to an end and the only thing that changes in that final scene is the end like he instead of getting an apartment he gets a child and I think he mm-hmm. wanted both of those things, but yeah, but both of them felt kind of gross at the end to me. Well, the other thing I guess is like I, I, from his perspective, I buy the turnaround because you know his other girlfriend. I mean, but that's the other thing is like I part of trying to untangle like do I believe that this Eric character would toss what what's her face over for Hajar? Yeah, I could totally see that happening. But then I also think. Was his girlfriend really that awful? Because I was thinking of, like, if I had an aunt who I loved and she's in France and I've moved over there to take care of her for five plus years and I'm living, like, uh, you know, this kind of you know, I, I, comfortable but unfulfilling experience and I'm at her beck and call and every time I try to do something nice, she fakes these illnesses to keep me on. A, like, I can see hating her and I can see my girlfriend, like, just thinking that she's the worst person ever and does that i don't know does that i i kept on thinking like well like do i i feel a lot better if like eric's girlfriend is just a totally irredeemable evil evil person but 
Mm-hmm. And and the show's wanting me to think that like she's a vulture, but the only we- the reason I think that is because she hates the ant who is a terrible character, and the ant who is the terrible character calls her a vulture. <laughs> that and I think at the end she kind of proves where her interests lied uh, the entire time. Mm. It's it's with the money, it's with the apartment, it's with you know the Fabergé egg that she steals. She yeah. she very quick she's very quick to like relinquish that relationship and just mm. take the egg and leave. Mm. But on the other hand, from her perspective, this is like some unbelievable shit that's happening. Oh, oh absolutely. You just absolutely. found out that your boyfriend who, you know, all accounts looks like you've had a happy relationship with, even though it's been like, you know, problematic from the ant standpoint. You found out that he had an affair uh, with this girl he was supposed to swindle the apartment out of. And she's pregnant and her very Muslim mother is now haranguing you about morals and this stuff and now he's got this idiot grin on his face and is throwing you over <laughs> no no it's like, it's totally understandable I, don't, I think i might steal a fabergé egg if i didn't give a shit about the fabergé egg you know but, but she does and, and there's yeah, this big yeah. smile on her face at the end and i think that's the thing well one of the things that ties the two episodes together you mm-hmm. look at the the people who are not romanovs in this situation right. getting the fuck out of the romanov family and right. being happy about it right yeah 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 cuz yeah. these people are are genuinely fucked up in a lot of ways yeah uh yeah. so yeah m- maybe she's not the worst person in the world for wanting to get out of that situation uh i, I don't know I, I, there's something else to where uh the, the, i mean the whole time she's talking about killing his his aunt which is you know not a great thing to be talking about and also mm-hmm. there's a line in there uh i forget who says it but something oh i think it's when um eckhart and hajar i, I fuck i don't know eckhart's name in this i think uh, it's eric eric mm-hmm. okay eric and hajar are walking uh down the streets of paris and he's kind of seeing it for the first time again mm-hmm. um and appreciating just the beauty of paris the beauty of the place they're in and how envious most people are that they can even be there at all and Mm. that's a thing that i think that his girlfriend is taking for granted Mm. throughout the episode and and that makes me think that maybe she's you know a little bit shitty like she's she owns a freaking hotel in paris and she's got to live there for five years and i feel like she's become somehow jaded with that idea yeah she's Uh, it seems to be very entitled like i am a very pretty i'm a very pretty woman and there's a lot of things that should come easy to me and yeah although like i said it's it's not for me quite ever good enough either any attitude that she has that arises over the shitty aunt because she's just yeah the worst like she's Mm -hmm. the type of person i saw her eat several meals and never prayed as soon as her nephew comes over she affect she affects roman catholicism to kind of like fucking embarrass him Mm -hmm. and obviously you know her obvious racism i i don't i i don't that's the other thing that doesn't quite hold together to me it's like there's a the midpoint they try to start humanizing the old lady by saying oh well you know she is i mean you're supposed to think because uh, her name's Anushka or Anastasia, you're supposed to think that like if she's not the princess herself, she's like a direct descendant, and she's got all this like psychic horror from her upbringing, and she was forced to quarter Nazis, and one of mm-hmm. them raped their his uh, her, her sister, and they stole the Fabergé eggs. So she's just she's not really mean. She's just bitter about how her life has turned out. <laughs> right. But on the other hand. A lot of people have gone through that and as worse and from a far less privileged position than her. And, Mm -hmm. 
still, the things you say to the things she said to this Hajar woman are beyond the fucking pale to the extent to where like, I don't, if I'm Hajar, like I felt that was interesting too, that like she could just go to the home care office and say, this woman's an unabashed racist. I refuse to be, to go back there. And like, Mm -hmm. no one would blame her. Like there's something to be said, I guess, for standing your ground and whatnot. But like, my God, she just, again, she's just the, she's the worst. She's the worst. Yeah. Um, Talking about their have no civilization and they're savage and there's all this other, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Hajar is the longest suffering person I've ever seen. <laughs> right, right. No, I thought that I thought that was interesting, but kind of messy because um, it's hard. Because like I think this is something like BoJack Horseman does really well, which is show terrible people and like let you understand why they're terrible, but never like excuse or want you to like you know defend one their behavior. And I felt like Matthew Weiner doesn't quite have that deft touch or maybe it's just an animation thing where like you know this is an actual human talking about pain and you want to be empathetic to her um but like i said it's like i felt like it they they wanted me to feel bad and they wanted me to turn around on this this old woman whereas like nah she's still pretty terrible like i definitely had a hard time like the world's the world's best, brightest, nicest, most long suffering Muslim woman in France happened to be her caregiver, and she thinks that's a good Muslim. But she probably still thinks Muslims are, you know, uh, <laughs> right. savages. Like, right. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there's one other thing I want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, that kind of bridges these two episodes. I, you know, obviously the Romanovs are some connective tissue. Um. There's some connective tissue with the the non-Romanovs getting the hell out of the family and enjoying it. Uh, there, there's also kind of a tie between people wanting something and not talking about it. And I think mm. that is probably the most interesting part of the second episode, mm-hmm. which... Because uh, in the first episode, it becomes clear, it becomes evident that at the end, and I don't even know if if Eric himself knew this, but... By the end of it, he definitely wanted a kid this whole time, right? And they make a big deal about how his girlfriend definitely doesn't want kids. Um, you know, right. she was she was married before or something. I, I forget exactly what her, her yeah, situation yeah. She was. was but she's the, married, divorced, and is like kind of over the whole thing, and where he's kind of more of a romantic. Yeah, yeah, and so you know the the throughout the episode, the the old aunt is making a big deal about oh, you don't want kids and. And they don't really go into the idea of that idea very much with Aaron Eckert's character until the very end. And it becomes mm-hmm. clear that even if it wasn't forefront in his mind and maybe he didn't know it, that's what he was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then, you know, in the second episode, it's it's very much more clear that these people would be much, much happier if they separated and they just don't talk about that option. Mm. I, before... Before we go on to the second episode or leave the first episode, I want to talk about the the concept of the Romanovs in general, mm-hmm. like this society that he is depicting. And I, you know, deliberately didn't read a whole bunch on this because um, is is your opinion that this like Romanov diaspora, like to the extent that they would like get together and like sit in conferences about their shared history or... Is that a real thing? Is that something that is actually part of is a, a pocket of the real world that maybe Weiner has researched and was interested in? Or is it just like, 
almost a science fiction concept this this uh, longing of the lost romanov dynasty of all the romanovs throughout the world um is what what do you think is more close closer to the truth uh so i when when i saw the sign on the cruise ship for the romanov family society mm-hmm. i made that i made a note uh and i went and i looked up the the society and apparently that society isn't real, but what is real is the association. So there's a Romanov family association, and I think it was formed in the 70s, and it's headquartered in, like, Sweden or something, or, or I don't know, some European country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's headquartered I, in Sealand. <laughs> right, Sealand. <laughs> That's uh, the only place the Romanovs can go to avoid their persecution. So I guess it is kind of a real thing, but as, as to the extent of it, like uh, renting out cruise ships and having these these meetings on family history, I don't know. How do you prove that, too? Right. Is it a last uh, name thing? It's just, well, my I last mean, that, name's Romanov, so. That seems like the shittiest way to prove something ever. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I wonder, like, what the, because the whole idea is, like, a lot of these people like flee, flee, fled as as refugees and, and and outcasts. Like how, like you know, can you can you go trace your birth records back that far, back past the revolution? I don't know. You have to own at least one Fabergé egg. You do, you do. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be real. Right. Um, did you think? So it's interesting that you think that the egg was real. No, I think it's fake. Uh, Okay, me too. I, I okay. thought because you you were like kind of like I thought like maybe you had some line of evidence that that Fabergé egg was real. Nah. Um, okay. So yeah. So she stole a fake egg. Jokes on her. Yep. Eggs, fake eggs on her face. Um, okay. So do you want to talk about episode two, the royal we? Sure. Um, I thought this was interesting to open. Um, and this kind of a mundane situation, I, I do think that this ep- the, this show does excel at like you know having fairly mundane situations, but do a little uh, interesting take on them. Like in the first episode, there was like the family sitting around after dinner, drinking wine and smoking smoking marijuana in front of their ch- very small children, mm, which I thought right. was arresting. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess adults drink and smoke in front of children all the time it's just weird yeah. to see them doing illegal drugs and to the extent that you believe marijuana should or should not be like maybe but like this was it illegal this, in paris man fuck if i know uh hmm. no they the the bastille they keep open explicitly to jail people that they find smoking reefer <laughs> out on the streets right um anyway uh the the whole starting with this um marriage therapy uh-huh. Uh, and I immediately did not like Corey Stoll's character because, like, I I can't imagine being in a relationship with this wall of apathy. Right. Where it's like, well, I'll do whatever you want to do, but I'll roll my eyes and sigh when you make suggestions. And, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm fundamentally just not I'm a, I'm a happy I'm an unhappy, disaffected person. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, she's like this this woman's doing like some like emotional work. She's trying to figure out like, you know, they say opposites attract, but then they also say that you should have a lot of things in quality, you know, both can't be true and or maybe both can be true and you know, uh and, and I like what the therapist says there. That's a movie, you know. Yeah, These yeah, lines yeah, yeah. were written for a purpose. Don't think that this has any analog to real life. Right, right. Um but I I thought that um I don't know. Like this is this is an interesting. This this felt like a screwball romantic comedy with like you know uh, you've seen it like 
a bunch of different times where the guy will scheme away where there's the, 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 there's some manufactured situation where the woman's stuck out of town or the man's stuck out of town and she's thrown in with this other person and like hijinks and shootsu and it's like kind of a fairly lighthearted low stakes because you don't really give a shit about Carrie Stoll or Corey Stoll you don't give a shit about his wife um, you don't give a shit about the relationship so like seeing this guy engage in this low stakes you know 12 angry man nonsense the the win over this english gal Gadot type doesn't <laughs> like really land and then you're kind of happy for his wife that she's having fun on the cruise and intrigued when noah wiley shows up but like it's all kind of you know pretty low stakes and droll up until the very very end where mm-hmm. he tries to murder his wife um and that i thought this like i saw this coming a mile away yeah as soon as like you know they're hiking up this thing and you know he's she's getting ahead and he's like giving us significant glances, but I was kind of surprised that she lived lived through it. Like that was the, the shocking <laughs> yeah, twist for sure. Because I thought this was just going to be a dark, you know, like oh Don Draper, uh, you know, turned his brother away and he hung himself kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, or Lane Price is going to be found committed suicide in his office, but. He so it's like he started off with like a screwball romantic comedy. He took it dark, and then by the end, it became a screwball romantic comedy again. Yes, I I guess I agree with that. Uh, it it was very strange. I thought, I, I guess I was looking for the Romanoff part of it, and you know, it, that's weird to say in an episode where we see more Romanoffs in an episode. Uh, the most Romanoffs in an episode so far, but it felt less Romanoffy to me mm-hmm. than that first episode. Mm. Uh, I don't know, like, but 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 yeah, I thought so too. But then when we got to the cruise ship and it was Romanoff as fuck, yeah, but it didn't have anything to do with anything. Like th- that, that was completely incidental to the whole story, which was essentially these two people who are not in love and who do not make each other happy, trying to fake it. Um, and you know going off the rails when they're not together when they're not forced to fake it essentially hmm interesting and, and then you know the the darkest twist obviously when he tries to kill her at the end uh but yeah i, I guess screwball romantic comedy is pretty accurate is there so cuz i thought again you're supposed to understand that she is almost like more roman well i can't like there's something about I, I felt like there's another thing just like um when hajar put on the costume and she became like anastasia mm-hmm. like when she showed up at that ball and was like you know rubbing elbows with the other romanovs like there was um i don't know the idea that like she is more romanov than the romanovs huh. like she's she's more effortlessly playing the part even though she doesn't have any interest in it or like i i don't know there i I felt like there was something to that yeah i think the way i read that is her thrill at seeing you know all of the romanoff shit going down Mm -hmm. was kind of it's to me it said if only Corey stole could get his head out of his ass and appreciate what he has here and participate in his own fucking life Mm -hmm. uh that maybe they she would be really into this and he could be really into it and they would be happy as Romanoffs together. Yeah, interesting. Because like that's when John Slattery shows up as this like Romanoff scholar. Uh huh. 
Like, I just like, it's so eye-rolly because uh, he's talking about how, like, they're, essentially their inheritance is that their inheritance was taken from them. And there's this mm. there's this internal violence and sadness that's that's part and parcel of the Romanoff existence. And it can't be escaped. It can't be grappled with. It's just something. And, like, and they showed all the Romanoffs, like, kind of, like, thoughtfully looking, oh, yeah. And you get the idea that these are all just, like, probably miserable son of a bitches. Yeah. Um, and then I think that the regressive and transgressive tone of their ball was supposed to suggest that, that like like the Anushka character from the first episode, that these are kind of terrible people. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that they see themselves as this aristar- uh, aristocratic class uh, kind of shields them from thinking that uh like a medieval style passion play about the romanovs complete with all little people is like something that could can't really be done nowadays in 21st century like yeah. that's something you'd see you expect to see in like fucking game of thrones um but that yeah that the, 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 the whole thing is the romanov thing is that they're like navel gazing shits that excuse all their bad behavior because their mom and dad their moms and dads got murdered like even like cory stole when he's trying to make time with the, the british gal Gato, it's like he his opening is oh well, my whole family got murdered uh-huh but, uh, that doesn't touch him no like that's not that's not his damage i don't know um no but, it's, like, hard, it's hard to tell what is his damage honestly right right but I don't know. It just seems like there was like no making these people uh, happy. I thought there was uh, something else instructive, like you know, you got the people that are like even at her table at the ball, there was people that were like super into the Romanov cruise and the Romanov identity, and then they were married to people that like g- don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mar- like Noah Wiley doesn't give a shit about the Romanovs and thinks it's a bunch of bullshit. The one elder fellow when the one girl was or the one woman is like oh you know if if everyone's like that the romanoff society will be dead and within a generation he's like oh yeah wouldn't that be a shame um i i mean i i that's that's a really interesting tension to have like it like imagine like if you like i'm just trying to think of like imagine if i was drug on this cruise and everybody is unironically all about being a romanoff and i think this is all creepy and weird like how do you have how do you have a relationship like that? And yet it seemed like that was the relationship that all the Romanovs had. Like even the lady yeah. taking you know, handing out the Romanov badges or like, Oh, you showed up at your husband, well you'll have more fun with them anyway. And you know, her husband is the guy who's I like, guess cosplaying as the Duke. Uh-huh. Uh I did love him drinking and throwing the shot glasses over his shoulder and the bartender's like, Sir, you have to stop doing that. Like <laughs> yeah. he's just his joy in life is destroying shot glasses. No, it was, um, it was good. Uh, also, yeah. I I can't like I feel bad for the little people involved in that uh, mockery of a stage play, but I, I feel maybe even worse for the horse, which <laughs> was carted onto this boat for sure. a, a multi day, if not week long tour for twenty minutes of stage time. Mm-hmm. Not even twenty seconds of stage yeah. time. I thought the horse was going to take a shit on the ballroom. I it, did like, too. Yeah, justify his existence. Also, can we talk a meta like? It's obviously gross if you commission a troupe of little people actors to reenact a circus, like, you know, a circus type of execution of Romanovs, right? You got your evil Rasputin. Where's the line of, like, doing that ironically in a television show 
as a way to say how not politically correct this crowd is. I mean, isn't that just what actors are paid to do? Yeah, but like, don't you think it's 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 got to be weird. It's like, hey, you're like like if those like those actors would they show up if it was unironically? Hey, this is a Romanov cruise, and they want you to dress like the Romanovs, and they want you to run around on your little legs and play Benny Hill music behind you as 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 your hijinks are hilarious. Would they show up for that? Look, Nick Cage got paid I don't know how much money to do himself, ironically, and Mandy. So I, I can't feel too bad about them getting a paycheck I'm, no, dude, to I'm ironically not fe- portray themselves. I'm not feeling bad. I'm okay. just meditating on what it's like and what the, yeah, what, no. are, what, are the, the, what are the rules to this. Because, like, I agree. Like, if I, um, if I could make a buck doing something... Uh, then like traditionally I've done that, you know, like, uh-huh. uh, if I can make a buck talking about my weird cult past, I'll do that. If I can make a buck, you know, acting like a jackass on a podcast and people find it entertaining, I'll do that. Like, but there's nothing, I don't know. Like there's nothing inherently, I guess, uh, dehumanizing about any of those things. In fact, it's like the opposite. It is like asking me to be treated as a human. And I just wonder what it's like to be like Matthew Weiner's like, Hey, Hey, um, hey, I want a whole bunch of little people, but it's not what you think. It's actually a parody of the thing that you think, mm-hmm. you know, and then the agents call that. And also, like, how many, you know, how many roles are there for 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 dwarf actors? Uh, and is Peter Dinklage taking them all? And like, there's like, I don't know. I just like I feel like there's a, a whole a whole rabbit hole of questions I have that I won't get any answers to. It's just I like that. It's like a fake Fabergé. I like to look it up and admire it and see, you know, <laughs> if it's genuine or not. Uh-huh. I feel like we haven't talked about Corey Stoll because he started the episode as an irredeemable shit. He was an irredeemable shit throughout the episode. And by the end of the episode, I thought briefly that he was going to learn a goddamn lesson that uh-huh. like that this British Gal Gadot is going to teach him like, you know, you just got a little bit of spice made life nah. worth. But but you, the, the real happiness is to be found within and with your own beautiful wife who's vivacious. And oh, by the way. Fended off a very charming, uh, very wounded <laughs> Noah Wiley. Right. Uh, which I've seen ER. That's a hard thing for a woman to do. Apparently. That's a tough thing, yeah. Um, and, you know, she's just manifestly too good for him. And I thought he was going to realize that until he suggested the hike. And I realized that, no, in fact, he was going to try to murder this woman. And there's oh, something. Hmm. Okay. What, what? I'm sorry. What What was your OO uh, on that? Uh, uh, well, I was just thinking, I... So you must have read the breakdown in the therapist's office very differently from the way I did. Because I read that entire, like, oh, I finally realized what's important thing as not him realizing his wife is important, but realizing that he's not happy with his wife because he doesn't have the freedom to experience that feeling that he got uh, running around on his wife, essentially. Right. Uh, And so I kind of knew from there on and when the night before they went on the hike when he suggests hey we should go on a hike tomorrow i was like oh no this is bad this is very bad yeah because i i guess i should i no so i thought that the therapist office breakdown i was with you but then when she like embraced him and he kind of like melted into her embrace i thought like well i i didn't see that what i saw uh, is a man who was having a breakdown a woman who had arms around him but he was not giving an inch there Hmm, interesting. 
Yeah, so I, I yeah, I, I guess because I was with you, I thought that the breakdown was over him realizing he wasn't in love with his wife. But then yeah. I thought in the ensuing days, like maybe that he's, you know, like because like there's, I, I just felt like there had to be redemption for his character. You would you know? think so. Yeah. Um, or this poor woman is stuck with this guy for the rest of her life. I guess the redemption is for her. She yeah. gets to like, I mean, I don't even know what it's like to realize that your husband that I think, she, you know, you genuinely care for is, is not only didn't love you, but also was going to like murder you instead of like doing the right thing, which is breaking up with you. I mean, um, such a fucking cowardly way out. Right? It is, man. But like you hear about this shit all the time, like these uh-huh. guys that feel trapped in relationships, but their pride is like, well, I can't get a divorce because then I'd look like a bad dude. I know I'll, I'll murder my wife and get away with it. Like, <laughs> right. This shit happens. Not really regularly but like you know the fact that it's happened non-zero numbers of times is 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 a shocking indictment of the moral craptitude of the human human soul um but like but yeah and like the fact that he did this after every evidence to the con like this this british gal gadot has said no it's never going to happen it's never going to happen not even if you were single like i'm not even Mm -hmm. tempted i love my husband one of the reasons I love my husband is he's dumb enough that I can step out and he's none the wiser and I'm a beautiful, uh, urbane, desirable woman and I can get away with it. And you are like Corey Stoll, who is weirdly magnetic and attractive to people, even though it doesn't really it defies kind of like common sense and 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 conventional wisdom. But you, you got you're in the Adam Driver zone of a goofy looking dude that women find irresistible. So go, and, and your wife is an idiot. So go out and have fun. And he just fucking just heard like, oh, no, it's, oh, no, oh, no, sailor. If you murder your wife, I'll be I'll be available. Mm-hmm. It's some cringy. Sh- it was some, some cringy ass shit that I was watching. It is. Yeah. Um, like just just like that. The, the montage of him calling her and calling her and not getting return calls. Just crazy town. So, yeah. And you talk about, uh, you know, Corey Stoll, uh, the ER guy, whatever. Uh-huh. No Wiley. No Wiley. Yeah. Their, their magnetism. I. Ever since I've seen Halt and Catch Fire, which is where I was introduced to Kelly Bichet, Carrie Bichet, mm-hmm. uh, I really, really like her. First of all, she's beautiful. I mean, that that helps. But she's able to, like, convey, uh, like, a, a bizarre, like, pure innocence and also, yeah. like, mischievous bad girl. Like, th- there's a massive gulf between those two things, and yet she walks both sides of that gulf. Yeah. Uh, effortlessly. And, you know, she... She always seems like she's very sharp too. She's at least the character she's playing. I mean, the actress is able to bring that to the roles. So yeah, uh, no, yeah, I, I'm like a huge fan of Carrie Bichet now. It's I, I am too, and I, I remember her being Scoot McNary's wife, right? Yes, because I saw the first, I think, two Donna. seasons of that. Um, I thought that yeah, like I guess I would say that she's appealing, uh, mm-hmm. like in in like kind of like a. a a Carrie Coons kind of way, like a multi-dimensional. Yes, they're attractive. Uh, but they're also like you, you, you said there's, they seem very bright. They seem kind of like game and up for anything. And like, they seem like they'd be a lot of fun to be with, but also inter- like, yeah, I, I totally. And I guess that's one of the frustrations is you see, you know, this guy who's built his whole life. Cause you kind of, you also find out that like they work together and I think that she maybe is the one that owns the company and he just works there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, this is sounding more like Hot and Catch Fire every day. 
Right, right, right. Like that, like he's built his whole life around, and it's a good life, but he is bored for whatever reason because he thinks he should. I thought it's interesting that when she was on board the cruise, she saw an old painting of a Romanov that looked exactly like him. Uh huh. So like, I think, I think it's interesting that like what I what when I heard like the 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 pitch about this being twenty first century Romanovs, like there was a little bit of ton in cheek implying that they're not really Romanovs, they're like deluded Romanovs. But I felt like every one of these episodes so far gives pretty compelling reason to believe that the person is an actual Romanov, whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I found out I would it's weird because like if I found out I was a Romanov right now, I don't think it would change one bit how I feel about myself. <laughs> Yeah. Like, but Corey, you like, have to get a Fabergé egg, though. I get. I mean, hard I, to come I, by. That's what happened. I, I think they ride up to your house on, in a in a chain <laughs> and, 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 and and yeah, and they ride up with in a, in a big uh, uh, coach, a carriage. Yep. a carriage, and they give you the Fabergé egg, and inside it says, "Congratulations, you're a Romanoff." Um, right. But like they like, it's not a call to adventure. It's not a like, oh, well, now I know all the things that are broken inside of me. And like, it's 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 like uh, it'd be like the same way if I found out I was. I don't know. I can't even think of any I can't think of anything like that. Like, like it's, it's almost treated like it's a, you know, Daisy Ridley finding out that she's a Jedi. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Like it's this thing that like this knowledge that alters your entire life course and how you perceive your life and, and, and contentment. And it's almost like a, a disease where. You could be surrounded by beauty and opulence and culture and still feel like you have lost something because it's not the fucking empire that your family built and it was taken away from you. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely getting what they're putting down there. And it's it's interesting when I when I look at the Corey Stoll character, I I think he's a bit of an enigma, but also I think I can see something within the Romanoff stuff that makes him the way he is because they do make it a point to say that he is essentially the employee within this company, right? Mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. that Carrie Bichet is the one who's make calling the shots. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, him acting out is very much like an expression of, or reclaiming of his freedom in some twisted, fucked up way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like if he were the aristocracy of the early 1900s, uh, he would be able to do whatever the fuck he wants, right? And you look at the stuff that happens on the boat, with the Romanovs, they're doing whatever the fuck they want. Uh, and it's not good. It's, they're doing very bad things in some cases. But uh, I think that's one of the things that... I don't know if Corey Stoll's character understands that in the episode, but the episode is trying to kind of say that, is that this is a man who a hundred years ago would have been a king, would have been able to do absolutely anything he wants. And now he's like, ah, I don't want to do anything because I can't do everything that I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. It kind of dovetails into like what uh, Slattery was saying about the Romanovs and like what an impressive regime they were because like he mentioned like he mentioned as laudable and there's all these Romanovs nodding. It's like they maintained feudalism until well into the twentieth century and I'm like. Right. The fuck, man! Uh, like, like, uh, you know, it's it's like saying America's burned coal well into the twenty first century. It's like it might be true, but it's not th- something that we should laud or brag about. Or yeah. like, I read a horse today every day until the you know the, the Starship Enterprise came. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, 
uh that's you, you so yes this family is is, is st- stayed in the way of progress and mm-hmm. were brutally massacred because the people apparently were so happy with the way things ran that yeah <laughs> they were popularly revolted against and, and killed um yeah i i don't know um there's a little fun i thought there was a, some there's some kind of interesting stuff that um like I think it's because like you know one of the one of the um, one of the criticisms about like you know Me Too and 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 uh, the crazy idea of respecting women and consent in general is like oh there'll be there it'll be a, the death of passion and romance in a world mm-hmm. and I felt like this scene at their the lake house was kind of like a response to that how like you know they were playing with little non-consensual consent but the woman like at one point uh the british gal gadot type like had to tell Corey stoll to stop and have him actually like respect the fact that he would stop mm-hmm. and then she flipped the sexual day name and i thought that all stuff was very very sexy but mm-hmm. it was also all done within the rubric of of like consent and respect and that's a pretty good way of saying that like yeah you know making sure that people actually want to have sex with you before you have sex with them, not necessarily the death of, uh, <laughs> of uh, sexuality and romance. Uh-huh. That's some that some would, would say it is. Hey, everybody, before we get into the feedback for the Romanovs, I want to talk about Club Bald Move, club.baldmove.com. And the reality is, uh, if you enjoyed our discussion of the Romanovs and looking forward to hearing us talk about it in the upcoming weeks, uh, there's zero chance we'd be doing that without the club. If the club didn't exist... The funds for us to do uh, podcasts uh, on a full-time basis. And if you heard our housekeeping, you know that we're going to have like six different podcasts dropping this week alone. Uh, we just wouldn't be able to do it. And it's not an altruistic thing like, oh, my God, I want to hear him talk about the Romanovs. I better pay. You also get a bunch of bonus features uh, for your money. You get access to ad-free feeds, video versions of a lot of our podcasts, uh, bonus content such as quips and lunch with Jim and Aaron. Uh, some of the con- content of the upcoming serious, Super Serious Film Fest are going to be exclusive to club members. You don't want to miss out on that. Check out club.baldmove.com for more information and sign up today. Uh, we have some feedback that I'm going to consider now. Uh, Benny up front says, I'm sure the series will give you all the historic information that you need to know, but if it whets your appetite, Robert Massey's book, Nicholas and Alexandria, the classic account of the fall of the Romanov dynasty, is a fascinating read. The last family of czars was brought down by a string of really unfortunate and preventable mistakes with a strong supporting role from the mystic slash con artist Rasputin. You can draw a straight line from the events of the world of the book through the rise of communism, the Cold War, and much of the conflict found in the world today. It reads as much like a novel as it does like history, and you may be interested even to show isn't your cup of tea. Uh, they mentioned they're not the author related or being endorsed. They just <laughs> just like the book. Um, I wonder because like some of the stuff Benny's saying here makes me think that this book might be a little too romanticized, hmm. um, because. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, because like, I've heard a lot of different things about, like, how big a role Rasputin had in the family, um, you know, what the how the the Romanovs are seen as the, by their people. And um, but, you know, like, I keep coming back to, like, they maintained a feudal regime into the 20th century. <laughs> yeah. That sentence that sentence is not a glowing endorsement of their of their rule. But. Uh, yeah, I just want to shout that out in case, uh, or if, if, uh, there's a Romanov historian that's got a better, like, if you had to choose one book to read about the Romanovs, because the reality is I'm going to have to choose one book. 
I'm not going to read multiple books on the Romanovs. I might not even read the one if I get through the first like 30 <laughs> pages and think it's stupid. So, uh, but I want to yeah. throw that out there. I, I won't be reading the one. Uh, not going to be read not even one. And then, no, like I said at the beginning, this is not a topic that I'm at all interested in. Yeah. Uh, inherently, did you hear? Didn't Dan Carlin do an episode of uh, Hardcore History on the the Russian aristocracy? You know, I don't. I think he touched on it as a med. Like, I think as, as a meditation okay. of how much death touched these families. Like that, you know, because the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the, the the czar loved his wife. Like you know, like seemed like everyone agrees he loved his wife, and yet there's so many of their children died, and how much like mm-hmm. sadness that that would like bring into a house. Um, in a way, in in a way that like we in the 21st century can't really relate to. Like having 13 children and 11 of them die. Mm-hmm. That's those are made up facts and figures but like it's similar to that so I, I don't think he did a whole episode on it but i think he did touch on that maybe in the context of the countdown to armageddon i don't know but yeah i remember i remember a little bit about romanov's coming out of dan carlin's authoritative mouth um <laughs> so uh moving on to Majam says i wonder if the whole romanov theme cruise was copied from an actual cruise itinerary I know obviously theme cruises exist, but this one seems so odd and decadent. I'm not sure it would be my cup of tea, but it was fun to see an episode and how the Shelley character reacted to all the events as they rolled out. Kind of wish you'd followed up on the picture of the Romanoff that looked just like Corey Stoll in the Slattery lecture. <laughs> um, like I said, I deliberately, yeah, Jim's looked it up, but I, I'm like, I, I halfway through this episode, I thought about how much research I wanted to do. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to pretend like this is all real. Okay. I don't. I want to uncritically take this Romanoff concept as a fictional concept because uh, it's not like I, I knew that I knew enough that like I knew Matthew Weiner wasn't crowing about all the research he did into the Romanoff history and how historically accurate it was. Um, but I do think you've got some hope here, Majam, that they will make something of that because again, I know that John Slatter's character comes back for a larger role in a later episode. So it stands to reason there will be other threads that maybe connect all these together. Um, Jamie T. I was watching the first episode and I loved it. Um, I thought that Eric calling the woman Hagger accidentally by mistake and being raised on Bible stories myself made me pay very close attention to that. Um, do you know? Uh, do you do you remember from our our, our shared mythology, no. Jim, the character of Hagar? I, I remember the name. I don't remember the story. So Hagar was the uh, servant girl or slave girl of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And, uh, you know, Abraham and Sarah old as shit, like in their 90s, right. and God told them to make children. And uh, she decided to, uh, since they were having trouble, let let Abraham use her servant, her slave girl. Uh, and uh, they had a son called Ishmael that then they got driven out of the family after uh, Isaac came along. But it was kind of, I think, I think Jamie's on to here, uh, on to something here about... Um, I mean, I don't think she's. I don't think there's like a truly deeper meaning. This is another one of like the set, the the circles of hell concept that Matthew Weiner broadly chose to paint an emotional palette with. But like you know, there wasn't a literal, you know, circles of hell and Mad Men that Don Draper was stuck in. Um, even though people spilt a lot of ink trying to make that that happen, I think it's more of like the concept of a substitute coming along to fulfill like you know this dynasty this mm-hmm. idea of having to have an heir um 
So like if you had like, you know, if you're like Jamie or, or me and you, you heard that, do you perk up and you pay a little bit more attention? But I don't I don't think it has anything deeper than that, though. People want to develop that theory. Send it in to TV at baldmove.com. Uh, final email. Demick says, well, watching the first episode, I had an uneasy feeling that the characters were all pretty ridiculous. But that would make total sense since everything had to be a little bit louder for the story to make an impact. Once I settled in within the world wiener, the <laughs> the world whiner had built, uh, actually every character felt so natural um that's something that i kind of felt too that like i was trying to get at like how would you express the depths of don draper in 30 minutes if you had to explain him his relationship to betty his relationship with peggy the rivalry pete his friendship with uh roger like how would you how would you get that in 30 minutes and that's what matthew weiner has to do in every single episode he has to sketch these characters. You have to know what they're about. You have to know what they want, and you have to know how they'll interplay with each other, um, or the thing doesn't work. Um, of course, a lot of people are saying it's not exactly working. So, but I still think it's pretty amazing what he's able to do in just like thirty, thirty, forty minutes. Uh, I do have a minor quibble, which is that I think that we- the Weiner has a type uh, when it comes to his female leads. Sophie in episode one and Michelle in episode two can both be body doubles for Jessica Paris. And how can anyone not see Megan dancing with the Charles Manson lookalike in season-, season seven, episode five, The Runaways, when Michelle was slinking next to the jukebox? Not to mention Shelley is basically an even thinner Betty- version of Betty Draper. Uh, <laughs> I mean, w- one of them is... is- kind of a french girl <laughs> yeah no yeah she yeah, totally. lives in paris at least for five years like I, I i don't i didn't see that they were all i i guess they all look alike and that they're all slim attractive hollywood women right i was gonna say hollywood has a type too um i did like sit up a little bit and took notice of sophie being extremely tall because i noticed she was wearing flat sandals and she was as tall as aaron eckert which i know i think i remember reading him as being at least six one maybe six two so i'm like damn that is a tall tall woman mm-hmm. um but yeah other, other than that i didn't i didn't recognize them as all being kind of the same other than like you said they're they're leading ladies in hollywood so they're yeah, all kind of of a type i don't think Gary Boucher has much uh, in common, even visually, with January Jones. Mm. I mean, I guess maybe skin tone, but yeah, other than that, because like January uh, Jones is very yeah. much an ice queen mm-hmm. um, of dubious acting and emoting abilities, and right. I wouldn't say that about uh, what you say your last name is Boucher. 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 Yeah. Uh, finally, Michael Romanoff is a Pete Campbell type. His entitlement, the weasel-like tactic to get laid, the obsession over a casual fling, the inability to scheme, the hair loss. <laughs> I love them all. Yeah, I, He's not wrong. <laughs> I never, yeah. Uh, other than I think Corey Stoll has got that little bit Jeff Goldblum, uh, you know, Adam Driver energy where he's like punching way above his weight. And I'd never say that about Pete Campbell. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, he... Uh, you're right. He's got this like little mini Pete. Like I don't know that Pete would kill would have killed somebody, but he definitely raped a woman. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, Michael at his worst is an attempted murderer. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, I don't know. I it it is interesting how, as you said, both of these episodes ended on women breaking away from the Romanoff clan and having big smiles on their faces. Do you think that'll be something that Weiner uh, continues with, or is this going to be just a weird artifact of the first two episodes? I don't know. Could, well, I guess we'll see in future weeks. 
I guess we shall see. Uh, that's all for feedback. That's all for our discussion of the Romanovs. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, next Monday, with the discussion of this third episode. Uh, if you have some feedback you'd like to send in, do so at TV at baldmove.com. Or you can also participate in our threads on our forums, uh, forums.baldmove.com about the Romanovs. That's all we got for this week. Again, uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.